Open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church. We are going to uh, move into a new series this morning. Uh, we're done with the Beatitudes. Makes me kind of sad, actually. I, I liked, um, I really like to be blessed, you know. Um, being blessed is important to me. And uh, I like to be happy. And so Jesus, talking about that, that was good for eight or nine weeks, wasn't it? We are moving ahead into the book of Acts, one of the most pivotal books in the New Testament. I'm going to tell you why in just a second. Uh, but we're going to start a series. I don't know how long it'll be or how fast we're going to go, but we are in Acts chapter 1 this morning. And so uh, in your Bibles, Acts chapter 1, and then uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Look at the first 11 verses this morning. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, to them he presented himself alive after his suffering by, by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. My Father, I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit, God. Uh, that's what this passage is about. Really, that's what this book is about. It's about your Holy Spirit moving in power in people's lives and in your church and in the world. And Father, we want to be a part of that. We want that to happen here. We want the Spirit of God to convict of sin, to reveal truth, to reveal righteousness, to bring about the new birth, to sanctify and cleanse and make holy. Holy Spirit, you're the one who does all of those things, and we ask you to continue. We pray for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The book of Acts uh, serves a real pivotal role in the New Testament. It's kind of a transitional book. What you'll find is that our New Testament opens up with four Gospels, okay? Are you familiar with those? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? That's the way that the New Testament opens up. All four of those books of the Bible describe the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. So all four of those books start out with uh, with the teachings of Jesus. The, well, actually, they start with the birth of Jesus, and then the teachings of Jesus, and the miracles of Jesus, and, and then finally into the cross, into the death, the sacrificial death of Jesus, and then they culminate in the resurrection. And really, all four Gospels end in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if we just had the Gospels and then the rest of the New Testament without Acts, it would be a little, kind of a little funny because you'd, you'd go from the life of Jesus and you go from, from, from the disciples in Jerusalem and, the, and the, the cross and the resurrection to all of a sudden 
you know, Paul's writing to a church in Rome, okay? That's what the book of Romans is. 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians are two letters to the church at Corinth. Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians are, are letters to churches in Asia Minor, okay? So it's all, all of a sudden you'd have all these letters to these churches all across the world, and the real question would be, okay, how did that happen, you know? I mean, I mean, we have the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, the resurrection, and all of a sudden... You know, the next thing we know, the church is all over the world. It's across the Mediterranean Ocean, you know, Mediterranean Sea. It, it's in Asia Minor. It's in Greece. It's in, it's in Italy. You know, how, how did the gospel get all of those places? Well, the answer to that is in the book of Acts, okay? Acts is, is, is a transition from, from the ministry and life of Jesus to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the world, okay? Do you see that? So, so, so really, and if you'll notice, if you've ever read the book of Acts, it ends really strangely, I think, okay? It ends with the Apostle Paul getting to Rome, and he gathers these believers together, and he preaches a sermon to them, and it says he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. Boom. It's done. He's like, he's talking about Paul. It's just over. You know, I mean, you would expect some sort of, Kind of, you know, conclusion, right? That's what good writers do, right, Michelle? They write a conclusion. You know, it'd be like, and this happened, and this is the conclusion. You know, there's no conclusion to Acts. I mean, you just, you're just going right along with the Apostle Paul's ministry. Boom, it ends. You know, you know what happened to him? You know, you know and, and I think there's a real reason for that in the Scriptures in that the book of Acts is being lived out still today in Woodward, Oklahoma. In a real way, you're a part of Acts, okay? Not, not that you're in the Bible here, but that Acts is the ministry of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit to the ends of the earth. And believe me, if you're in Jerusalem, Woodward, Oklahoma is the ends of the earth, all right? I mean, we're, we're there. We're, we're, at, we're in Acts 1-8. I mean, we're the ends of the earth. We're the other side of the world. And the gospel is here. And you're living out what Jesus said would happen in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Isn't that cool? That, that's the place of the book of Acts. Now, Acts ends where the gospels, uh, or Acts begins where the gospels end, and that's at the resurrection of Jesus. All right, so Jesus is alive. He comes out of the tomb, and then what we find happening in Acts chapter one is is, is Jesus is appearing to his disciples and to the believers in Jerusalem. In verse three. Uh, it says, to them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. All right, so Jesus is alive, okay? Now, the very fact that Jesus is alive, it proves that everything he said is, is right, okay? Everything he commanded is right on. Everything he promised would happen is going to happen. Uh, death could not hold him. It couldn't stop him. Therefore, nothing can stop him. And for 40 days, he teaches and he, and he appears. He pops into church services. He pops into, you know, they're eating. He pops into the, you know, they're, they're out fishing on the Sea of Galilee. He's, he's at the, on the shore cooking fish. I mean, he just appears in and out, in and out for 40 days. Now, there's a significant reason why, why I think that, that Luke includes that, that fact to us, okay? There have been some that have said that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a hoax and that the disciples hallucinated, Okay? You know, and then their theory is that here are these guys that they believe Jesus is the Messiah. And all of a sudden they see this horrible brew. I mean, can you imagine seeing your, your, one of your best friends or someone who's like family to you just absolutely ripped apart, you know, tortured, mangled, you know, nailed up on a piece of wood. 
and he hangs there until he dies. I mean, can you imagine seeing that? It would shake a person up, wouldn't it? And their theory is, man, they, you know, they're all shook up. You know, they're in this kind of dazed stupor. They probably didn't sleep for three or four days. You know, when I don't sleep for like one day, I start to hallucinate. So I get that, you know, you know, three or four days. And they're like, and then so they saw what they thought was this, you know, cloudy figure on a foggy morning. And it's Jesus. And they, they, that's their explanation for the resurrection. All right. That's not what happened. What, what this tells us is that Jesus came in and out of these people's lives for 40, over a month, okay? And not just one person, but First uh, Corinthians 15 tells us over 500 people at one time saw Jesus, okay? So groups all the way down from, from small groups of the apostles all the way to groups of 500 people. Now listen, okay, I get that one person might hallucinate. It's really hard to get 500 people to have the same hallucination at the same time over a period of 40 days, okay? I mean, do you get what I'm saying here? That I mean, this, this is, this is he, they're, they're, they're showing us the, the convincing proofs of Jesus Christ is alive today. He rose from the dead. The tomb is empty. And he has only begun to do his work. That, that's what verse 1 tells us. In the first book of Theophilus, and he's talking about the book of Luke. You see, Acts is written by Luke, the physician. He wrote these two books, Luke and Acts. And, and so, so he's telling him in the second book, in Acts, he says, I, I dealt with in the first book all that Jesus began to do. Do you see that word began? That's significant because he's telling us, look, the story is not done. It's only beginning. Jesus started his ministry in, in, in Judea, in Galilee, in, in Jerusalem, in, in the area of Israel. But, but the ministry of Jesus now is being carried out through the Holy Spirit to the ends of the earth. That is the mission of Jesus Christ. And you are a part of that mission. Now, here's the question we've got to start with today. And I really think how you answer this question is really going to depend on what happens in the next however long we're in this series, okay? This is important. Is it okay in your mind to take Jesus, to say, Jesus, I want you. I want you in my life. I want to be joined to you by faith. I want my sins to be put on you. And I want you to pay for them on the cross so that I don't have to bear them. And I want the forgiveness that comes through the cross. And I want reconciliation with God. And I want salvation. And I want eternal heaven. But, 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 Jesus, I'm not interested in your mission. That's for other people. That's people like Jason, Pastor Jay. He, he's an odd ball anyway. And, you know, I mean, gets up there and does all that. And he's always out talking to people. You know, let him do that. And, you know, we'll, I'll support in some behind the scenes way. But I, the mission of God is not really for me. But I, but I want you, Jesus. And I want your salvation. And I want heaven. And I, I want forgiveness. I want all of that. But, God, I'm not that interested in the mission. I, I'm really busy, God. I'm really busy. And, I, man, God, I got a busy, you know, work life. And I, I, got, a, I got a lot of that I'm in charge of at work. And so I, you know, that's for somebody else. But I want Jesus. I just don't want the mission. Is that okay? You know, and... And let me ask you another question that goes right along with that question. Is it okay to say, Jesus, I want you. I want you in my heart. I want, I want your salvation. But I'm not that interested in the church either. And the reason I say that that question goes along with the first question is because you never see in the book of Acts individuals doing the work of God without the people of God, okay? It's always the people of God. It's always people connected with other believers, you know? Whenever they'll find a small pocket of believers, they'll, they'll join them with a the bigger... I mean, it's always the people of God coming together in Christ-centered relationships and doing the work of God. Paul hungered for that. Even when he had to be out by himself traveling, he looked for believers. He wrote letters to believers. He begged believers to come with him. It's always the people of God doing the work of God. So... 
the real question I want to ask you is, is it okay in your mind to say, I want Jesus, but I'm not that interested in being plugged into a church and I'm not that interested in the mission of God. And I would answer that definitively for you today. That is not okay. It's not okay at all. And here's the reason it's not okay is you can't divorce Jesus from his mission. Okay, this is what he is doing. Jesus is revealing himself through the power of the Holy Spirit to the ends of the earth. That's what he's doing. Okay, there's not like two tracks. You know, he doesn't do that five days a week. And then he 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 goes to the beach the other days, you know, and you can join him in that. No, I mean, Jesus has a mission. And if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to live for Jesus, if you're going to be about Jesus, if if you're going to be connected to Jesus, you've got to be connected to his mission. It's not optional. To think it's optional would be to, to, to think that, you know, you could say, hey, I, I'm going to sign up for a deep sea fishing trip, but I don't want to be on a boat, okay? So you're gonna, it's going to be hard for you to do that not on a boat, okay? It's like saying, you know, hey, I want to be in the army. I'm going to join the army, but here are, my, here are my conditions. I don't like tents. I don't like hiking boots. I hate the color green and camo. Uh, I don't take orders well, and I don't like to march, okay? Does it work to be in the army that way? It doesn't work to be in the army that way, and it doesn't work to say, Jesus, I want you, but I don't want your mission. I don't want to reveal you to the world. I don't want to glorify you. I don't want to sing your praise. I don't want to speak your truth. This doesn't work. Basically, what you're saying is, Jesus, I don't want you. See, his mission go together. Jesus is always talking about his mission when he was on the earth. Um, Luke 19.10, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. Mark 10.45, Jesus said, I have come to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. John 10.10, Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. 1 John 3, 8, Jesus said, I came to destroy the works of the devil. All over and over and over again, Jesus said, this is why I came. I came to do this, to set free the captives, to seek and save the lost. Jesus is on mission. It's interesting, however. This could be, this could be some Christian's favorite verse, actually. Verse 4, because it's the only time in the Bible where, where I see Jesus saying, hold back, throttle back, and wait a second. Okay, a lot of Christians are going to grab onto that and say, that's my verse right there. Jesus said, wait, don't do anything yet. That's what I'm doing. I'm not doing anything. I'm waiting. Verse four, it says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized you with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Why would he tell them to wait? I mean, can you imagine these guys are revved up? I mean, Jesus is with them. You look over and see the gaping hole. Man, remember what he told Thomas? I can't imagine how this is with his resurrected body. But he told Thomas, he said, reach in here. Reach in my side <laughs> where the sword went. Now, you, got, you got Jesus with you, okay? I mean, how can you, how can you not be like, we got to go tell the world. But, but Jesus tells him, listen, I want you to, to wait. wait why, why wait? Why wait in Jerusalem? Why, why hold back? Why not do anything? Well... The reason is, is because the Spirit's power had not yet come to them, okay? See, he tells them to wait. He says in verse 8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, okay? And you'll be my witnesses, and then in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, okay? Now, let's let's do a little refresher course in our minds, okay? What do we know about the Holy Spirit? Well, we know that the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity, okay? So you have, in the Godhead, you have God the Father, you have God the Son, and you have God the Holy Spirit. Okay, three in one. 
Okay, three in one. So one God, three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What else do we know about the Holy Spirit? Well, we know that the Holy Spirit indwells every born-again believer today. After Acts chapter 2, every believer receives or is indwelt by the Holy Spirit when they become a Christian. Let me read that to you. Romans 8 9. It says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So if you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Jesus. If you have the Spirit, if you have Jesus, you have the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. This one blows my mind. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's just unfathomable. Every time we come to that in the scriptures, I got to step back and say that is life changing to embrace that, that the spirit of the living God lives inside of me, resides inside of me. And that's got to change where you go and what you say and what you look at and what you do, doesn't it? Knowing that you're a traveling temple of the spirit of God. Wow. Okay, so, so we know that. So we know the Spirit of God indwells every born-again believer. Now, why? Well, for the sake of power. We need power. We need strength. We need ability. We need a capacity to do these things that God's calling us to do. But notice, it is power for a particular thing. It is power for the mission of God. Okay, it's all connected to the mission of God. Verse 8 says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Please understand, it's, the power is not for anything you want, you know? I mean, it's not like, you know, the Holy Spirit's in me, so now I have power and I'm going to use my power to be able to run a 5K fast, pa- faster than Pastor Andrew, you know? That, that's what I'm going to use my power for, you know? Somebody else was that. I'm going to use the power to, to, to outsell everybody else in my division so I can win that trip to Bermuda, you know? Or, and somebody else is saying, well, I'm going to use my power to, you know, work two jobs so that I can buy that boat that I've been dreaming of for, for the lake this summer. You don't get it just, it's not random power. It's power for a specific thing. It's power for the, the mission of God that enables you to be on mission for Christ, to be witnesses for him. But what is very clear here is that to the disciples is that they, they need this power for their mission. Okay? They, they have to have it. You know, the disciples are like kind of like some of us sometimes that we get real distracted about what, what we're here for and what we're about. Look in verse 6. It says, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And so you know what their question is? They're saying, Lord... Is this, is it time for heaven? You, you ever ask that? You know, are you ever praying that? God, is it time for heaven? You know, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to push Rome out? Are you going to take care of Herod? Are you, you going to bring the kingdom in? Are all things going to be made right? Are we going to reign? Are we going to rule? Is this going to be victory? Is it time for the end? I mean, that's their question. You know what Jesus says? He says, that's really not your business. Okay. It's not, it's not for you to know times and seasons. You know, it's just, it's not you, you know. I mean, I think that's a strong rebuke to folks who've read every Tim LaHaye book and have read Revelation 93 times would have never read the book of Romans, you know? I mean, I think there's a balanced problem there. I think Jesus is saying, look, you know, you, you need to be interested in the mission of God. You know, some folks are so caught up in, in, in the win of the kingdom that they miss out on the work of the kingdom. And, and here's what he's saying. Your mission now is to be my witnesses to the end of the earth, and you're going to have to have power to live that out. It takes power to live the Christian life, doesn't it? Man, I am so aware that I cannot live any part of the Christian life effectively without the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I can't love my enemy. I, I have a hard time loving 
people that I like, you know? I mean, the way Christ wants me to. How am I going to love my enemy? You know, I need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. I mean, really, I, I, I mean, it's possible only through the power of the Holy Spirit. I need Him, you know, convicting and working in me. Man, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to sin and to put to death the, the desires of your flesh and not to love the wrong things and not to have idols in your life. And man, to share the gospel effectively, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. When I think about, you know, trying to be a part of imparting the word of God to my kids and, and, and trying to win people to Christ and, and to reveal spiritual truths, man, I'm so aware that we can't do any of that on our own. First Corinthians chapter two, listen to what it says here. Verse 14 says, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God. They're folly to him. They're foolishness to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Did you, did you hear that? I mean, I remember that. I, I remember sitting where you guys were in my church back in Penns, Kansas for 18 years. And I would hear the gospel truths, but they were not valuable to me. They were not life changing to me. It didn't click in my heart and in my soul and my life. I mean, I, I mean, I get that. I remember that. That the, the spiritual things are only revealed by the Spirit of God. It says that he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Folks, we desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. In John chapter 14, verse 26, listen to what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. You see, the Spirit of God reveals truth. Have you ever been reading your Bible? And it's just like, bam, something clicks, you know? And it's like, wow. And it's this truth that shapes your life and changes the way you think and, and gives you the ability to move forward in this hard thing. That's the Spirit of God teaching you when that happens. That never happened to me before, before I got saved. It didn't, but it happens now. It's like God gives me this truth. The Spirit of God reveals truth to me in a, in a deep way so that it, it motivates and changes my life. In John chapter 16, Verse uh, 7, starting verse 7. It says, Nevertheless, I will tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit's a convictor of sin. You know, I can guilt people. I'm actually kind of good at that. It's, it's, it's sinful, but I can do that. I'm, you know, some of you are really good at guilting, and, and, and it's because you're a sinner. You know, you try to lay the guilt on people, and you try to manipulate, try to make people feel bad. Anybody can do that. The devil does that. But only the Holy Spirit can convict people of sin and righteousness so that here's what happens inside of us. We don't want to sin anymore. Man, I remember when that was happening in my life. still is, but I remember when it started in such a way that God opened my eyes to see, man, I don't want to live that way. I want to live a new way. The, the Spirit of God, He's the one who does that. Okay? So, every believer is indwelt by the Spirit of God. Now, what we're going to be talking about in the weeks ahead, just give you a little preview, okay, is we're going to be talking about what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit, and what does it mean to walk in the Spirit, what does it mean to quench or grieve the Spirit. You see, all those things are possible. And let me, let me, just, let me just say this. You know what it is to quench and grieve the Spirit? It's to say no to the Holy Spirit's work in your life. So the Holy Spirit's leading you to, to forgive, and you say, no, I'm not going to. Or the Holy Spirit's leading you to share truths about Christ with somebody, and you're like, no, I'm not going to. Whenever you say no to the Spirit of God, you quench and grieve Him. And, and can you imagine how, how bad that is to quench the Spirit of God? For Jesus to be working and to be doing something in the world, and for you to get in the way of that. 
I'm not talking about not just help, but you're in the way. You're working against him. Emma was folding laundry the other, the other day, and, and uh, I saw this pile of, of wadded up, mangled shirts and just different stuff, and just like twisted and mangled and kind of stacked in a pile. And she said, that's where Haven's helping me, you know. And sometimes, so, sometimes believers can be that, you know. I mean, if you're being disobedient to the Spirit of God, if He's prompting you to do things, and you're saying, no, I won't. Man, not only are you harming your fellowship with God, but you know what you're doing? You're in the way of the mission of God. So we need power. We need power. We need power to live out the mission of God. And let let me tell you, folks, the most important thing in your life and in this church is the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we're going to be going through, we we already went through this at 5th Street, but we're going to be going through this soon. Lots of changes in this auditorium. Uh, We're going to be remodeling this. And so there's going to be new paint and there's going to be new walls, new carpet, new seating. You know, there's going to be lots of things like that 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 we believe is important for, for this reason. God said that whatever we do, we're to do to the glory of God. Okay, and so we're not talking about lavish things, but we, we, we want to say, hey, God, we believe the ministry of the gospel is important. So we're going we're gonna to keep things up. We're not going to let things wear out. You know, we're, we're going to do what we do at our own house. Okay, so that's important. But, but let me tell you, all that stuff has a very small, small impact when it comes to the gospel. Do people get saved because of carpet? No, they don't. They get saved because they got a nice seat to sit in? No, they don't. Do they get saved because of the color of the wall? No, they don't. The only thing that really matters is where the Spirit is moving. Because let me tell you, if the Spirit's moving, we could be sitting out in the stickers and people would, like their lives would be changed, transformed, okay? That's the reality. I mean, we need to get that through our heads that that's what we desperately need. Man, if you've got a troubled marriage, I'll tell you, there's some great resources out there. There's great books on marriage. There's great counselors. Man, there, there's great principles about communication, about love languages. And Man, there's some great stuff there. But here's the bottom line. You know what you ought to want? You ought to want the power of the Spirit of God. Because if the Spirit is moving in your marriage, things are going to be good, okay? They're going to be good. Things are going to work. It's going to be awesome, okay? Parenting is hard. It is really hard. It's hard to, to navigate kids and, and, and to, to, to impart the Word of God to them and to try to direct them in the way they should go. But here's the reality. You know what I want in my parent? I want the power of the Spirit of God. If God's moving in my kids, then not even my mistakes can mess them up. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I take a lot of comfort in that, you know? That I, I may blow it here and there, but man, if the power of the Spirit is moved in their lives, then good things are going to happen. And so what we ought to seek, I guess my point in all this is we ought to seek and desire and crave the power of the Spirit of God and realize that God's power comes for the mission. Again, please don't be one of those people that says, I want the power of God in my life, but I'm not interested in the mission. Well, you just said you're not interested in the power. He said, no, I didn't. I said, I'm not interested in the mission. Well, the power is for the mission. Okay? Now, what is the mission specifically? Well, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What's a witness? Well, a witness is someone who tells or proclaims or lives out what they have seen and heard, what they are certain of, okay? Now, you don't want a witness that's not certain, okay? If there's a murder trial here in Woodward, 
Somebody's life's on the line as far as you know, prison or the death penalty or whatever. The last thing you want is somebody that gets up and says, well, I'm not quite sure what I saw, but let me give you my opinion. You know, I mean, that doesn't give a whole degree of certainty about the decision that needs to be made, does it? I mean, you don't want somebody that says, well, I didn't really see anything, but I've got some thoughts on the matter. You know, let, let me share. You know, that's not the guy you want to talk to. The guy you want to talk to is the guy that says, this is what I know. This is what I've experienced. This is what I've seen. This is what I've heard. This is what I know to be true. The Bible says God gives you power to be a witness. You, if you're a believer, listen, you have seen things. You, have, you know things, okay? Seen with your heart. You know things about God, and you know things about the gospel, and you know things about Christ, and you know things about the Holy Spirit, and you know things about salvation, and you know things about sin, and you know things about heaven, and you know things about hell. You know for certainty certain things, and what God is calling you to do is to reveal those to the world. Now, here, here's where people get tripped up, is that whenever you hear people say witness, whenever the pastor says, you're going to be my witness, you know what a lot of people do? They shut off, okay? Because you know what they think of? They think, man, I've got to do what you're doing, and that's really silly, okay? I mean, they're picturing themselves at the mechanic shop, you know, mechanics putting on the oil filter, and they're picturing themselves being coming up and saying, <clears throat> I'd like to tell you some things while you're fixing my car, so please sit down and listen. Point number one is this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, what I want to say about, you know, I mean, that's what they're picturing is a presentation. I would think when a lot of people think of witnessing, they think of a presentation. You know, you see somebody in Walmart. Stop here. I know you're trying to get your groceries, but please stop. I would like to tell you some things about the gospel. You know, here's my first point. By the way, there's 27 of them. So just just bear with me. Is the car, put, the, put the basket down, ma'am, because here, you know, and then when we get done, you know, it's like, all right, now you have to make a decision. I'm going to sing just as I am, and you're going to have three verses to come. But if you don't come in the first three, I'm going to keep singing, okay? I mean, that's what people think of. And they think, I don't want to do that. I don't want you to do that either, okay? That's embarrassing. Don't do that. Sometimes, you know, sometimes God gives us those. I've, I've literally had people stop me and say, man, just tell, tell me what it, what it means to be saved. All right, I will. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, do it then. Great. Presentation time. Go. Tell what you know. You know, most of them don't work that way. Let, let, me, let me tell you two ways that, that, that I find in my... It might be different for you, but let me just tell you two ways that, that I find that I, I try to live this out by the power of the Holy Spirit in my daily life. Okay? Way number one, whatever the conversation is, and it doesn't always happen, but many times it can, I just try to get it to Jesus. Here's what I've found. You can start anywhere about anything and get to Jesus pretty easily. I'll give you some examples. You're talking with somebody. They talk about their mess-ups. Okay? That ever happened? You're talking with somebody. They're like, man, I'm going to lose my truck. I really messed up, and I got in my head. I shouldn't have bought the dumb thing, and you know, I don't know what I was thinking, and my heart wasn't, you know, but whatever, you know. Hey, you know what? It's an easy step from there to the gospel. Because you know what I say? Hey, man. I tell you, you're not the only one. You talk about mess-ups. I've made some huge ones in my life. But I tell you what, you know what's encouraging to me is I don't have to live in that mess-up because, you know, I believe what Christ did for me on the cross covers my failures and my sins. And Jesus Christ has paid the penalty. You know what the Bible says? It says He takes away my sin. I don't have to bear that anymore. I don't have to live with that mess-up. He's taking it away, and God's making me new. Where did I go? I went from their truck being repossessed to the gospel, didn't I? You know, pretty natural way, right? Talked to a family this week. They're thinking about adoption. Hey, that's an easy one, isn't it? Hey, did you know that the Bible talks about adoption? In fact, it says that God is in the business of adopting sinners into his own family. 
It says that in Galatians. You know, I'm going to talk about it. You know, let's say someone's depressed. You ever talk to anybody that's discouraged? Yeah, that happens to me a lot. Ever, yeah, maybe you guys too. That's when they're discouraged and they're just mad and they just feel like, man, I'm not going anywhere in my life and this job stinks. You know, I go from there, I just try to draw a line. Hey, you know, let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says God can make all things new. You know, and even the worst situations. Let me tell you some Bible stories about how, how God took people in, in the depths of, of terrible situations and did incredible things with their life. And God's doing that in my life. And I want God to do that in your life. I mean, it, wherever you are, whatever the conversation is, you can usually get it to the gospel. Now, sometimes people won't let you. You know, I, I get that. Sometimes they won't let you. You know, sometimes you start to go there and they go the other way hard. Okay. Hey, live another day. You know, there'll be another conversation. You know, there'll be other things happening in their life. I mean, you don't got to force this deal. But what, what God's calling us to do is to proclaim the truth, what we know and what we've seen, what we've heard, what we're certain of to the world. Okay. So number one, I try to just wherever I'm at, get the gospel there. Okay. Number two, I try to ask big questions. Okay. Here, here's what I've found. People, people want to talk about the serious things of life, but they usually won't bring it up. Okay. But, but I will. And you ought to, right? You ought to bring that stuff up. You ought to ask questions. And here's another thing I've found. If you listen intently to their answer, and if you're sincere about wanting to know what they, what, what they think, most of the time people will want to know what you think. Okay? Now, be careful there, because some people ask a question, and they got this smug smirk on their face like, you think that? <laughs> How stupid are you? I got the answer. As soon as you shut up, I'm going to tell you. People don't want to hear that, you know? But let me tell you, I can be genuine. I can, I can, with all genuineness, I can honestly say, when I ask somebody what they think about God, I want to know. I mean, it's not just some ploy, some trick. I really want to know. When I ask somebody, you know, what they think about death and what they think about, you know, what's going to happen and what they think about hell and what they think about Jesus, I genuinely want to know their answer. I mean, I want to know where they're at. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to embrace it, maybe, but I really want to know. I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know what you, what you think about that. And so ask people. Let them talk. Let them tell you what they think. Listen intently. Ask some questions. And then you know what I almost always find? They want to know what I think. And I really want to tell them. You know? I mean, so just ask questions in the daily life. You know? Hey, you're driving with people. A lot of you are in the truck or in the car with people that don't know Jesus. You know what I found to be a cool thing to do is, it's just as you're going there about 70, just run that one wheel off the side a little bit, you know, in the ditch and you kind of, and then pull it back on. And there's always about 30 seconds of silence and then just say something like, so what do you think is going to happen when you die? <laughs> They're already thinking about it. And so it's a great conversation. Hey, don't do that, though. For That was just a joke because somebody's not going to do that and roll their truck. And then they're going to be like, Pastor Jason said, I learned that at my church, you know. I'll get sued or something. My point is just ask big questions. What do you think about God? What do you think about Jesus? Hey, what do you think about this, that? I mean, just ask. And, and what I've found is by asking that question, you, you, you get to pick the topic. You know, you pick what you're going to talk about. If you don't do that, you end up talking about a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter, which is really a waste of time. If there's one thing that I hate, it's talking about a whole bunch of junk for a long time that doesn't matter. I mean, I, I really hate that, you know. I can only talk about some of that stuff so long before I start to drift away, you know. I'd rather talk about something that matters. So ask questions. Ask the big questions of life. It's one of the ways that, that we, can, we can be a witness. Now, I want to finish up with this, and we're out of time. I understand that, so I'm, I'm not going to hold you long. But what I want you to see is, as, as you are seeking to be on mission for God, I want you to see that, that what you do in your life is going to greatly affect what people hear out of your mouth. Okay? 
You, you need power both to speak gospel truths and to live a life that matches the gospel. Okay? Let, let, me, let me show you that. Titus chapter 2. Here's a great passage that proves this. Okay? In verse 5, uh, Paul's talking to women here. In verse 5. And then he says, To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to your own husbands. Why? That the word of God may not be reviled. Okay, so he's talking to ladies and he just says, hey, ladies, be, be kind. Man, be, be someone that, that treats their family well. You know, be, be a good model of Christian character. Why? So that the word of God, what's the word of God? That's the word coming out of your mouth, okay? The words that you're speaking about Jesus. So people won't revile those words, okay? Listen, he goes on. Verse 7. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that the opponent may be, may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Look at verse 9. Slaves, be submissive to your own masters and everything. They are, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything... Okay, now did you, did you hear what you said? All these characteristics of good works and Christ-like behavior. So that in everything they may adorn... The doctrine of God, our Savior. He says, by living a life of Christ-like character, you know what you do? You adorn the doctrine of God. You adorn the, the proclamation of truth you're making about Jesus. Okay? You know what it means to adorn, right? Many of you did that this morning. Now, some of you didn't. Some of you rolled out of bed, and you put on the shirt that your wife had laid out for you, and you got in the car, and you're here. Okay? That's all that happened for you. Okay? Understand that. A lot of you, though, you, you, you took great care. You, you put on something you thought looked nice. Why? You're adorning yourself, right? You might have put on a necklace or earrings or some of your makeup. And, you know, what you're doing is you're adorning. That's what it means to adorn. Okay? Paul is saying, by your Christ-like works that can only be lived out by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're beautifying, you're making attractive the words of the gospel. So that when you speak things about Jesus, you know what people do? They look at your life and they say, I think you might know what he's talking about. His life, his life is something. Her life is something. Yeah, it's, it's good. I like it. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit. What do we desperately need here this morning? We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, help us to be on mission. Father, we, uh, we seek you, Jesus. We seek you for salvation. We seek you, God, for life transformation. Lord, we seek you, God, to, to enable us to, to speak your truth to others that they might know you as well. So, Father, I pray that you would... Give us power, God. Give, give this church power. Give these believers power. Give these parents, these husbands, these wives, these neighbors. Give them power to live out and to proclaim the gospel. Father, we ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.